Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, another month coming to a close. Man, this fall is flying by as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 31. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where Greg Cosell and I look back at the Eagles' tough loss against the Carolina Panthers, and then it's kind of a, a state of the team. We're going to take a look at this uh, roster position by position, give a quick update and see what this roster has in store for the final nine games of the regular season and hopefully beyond. Uh, and we d- dig deeper into the tape with Greg Cosell, as we do each and every week. We follow that with two technique, where I talk with linebacker Najee Good about Bill Davis's favorite blitz concept. Uh, so you don't want to miss that discussion. Really, really interesting talk with Najee. And then we wrap the show up with Pete Sampson from Irish Illustrated. Huge game here in South Philadelphia this week. Temple and Notre Dame. I'm going to talk about the Irish here with Pete in a great discussion. But before we get into all, into all that, it's time to welcome in my favorite guy in the room this week. It's not BT. For the very first time, we've got Chris Stevens here in studio uh, producing the show. Chris, what's up, man? Hello, everybody. Happy to be here. Yeah, oh, look at you uh, making his debut uh, on the Eagles Network podcast, and uh, obviously a very tough game this past week. I know you were at uh, WIP taking care of uh, your normal road game duties for all of our radio broadcasts, but uh, you know, overall, look, it was it was a tough loss. I think that uh, it's always tough to have a loss going into a bye week because uh, you've got two weeks to kind of stew on it. Right. Chris played college football going into bye weeks. And you get you suffer a loss like that. How long does it stay with you? Is it any different than uh, another week, or do you just kind of move past it after a couple of days? And now you're kind of just focusing on recharging the batteries. See, it's always good to go into the bye with a win because it's you know carrying momentum. But you know, win or loss, I feel like the bye week is kind of like a refresh week. You know, it's a time for everybody to get their legs back under them. You know, clear your head, and really time for a team to regather themselves. So it. Yeah, it's it's always better to go into it with a win, but it's not too detrimental. I think it's a good time for this Eagles team to regroup and bounce back. There we go. Exactly right. So uh, let's dig deep into the tape here with Craig Cosell. Let's get it started with Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me this week once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. And Greg, uh, it is the bye week for me. It is just another week for you. Yes, it is. Uh, but here we are. The Eagles are 3-4 and four, entering the bye. It's week mm-hmm. 8 in the NFL season. Not exactly where fans and most of the media expected the Eagles to be at this point. But uh, this is a big week for the coaches because this is a big week for self-scouting yes. where you try and find your tendencies, see what's going uh, right, see what's going wrong, how you can try and fix the wrongs and accentuate on the rights and try and improve on everything that you're doing uh, operationally from a football perspective. But uh, let's first start with the loss against Carolina on Sunday night. Uh, obviously a tough game, a number of different fashions. Again, the, the theme of execution cropped up in terms of uh, the offensive side of the football and the troubles they had moving the ball at times. But uh, I thought when you looked at quarterback Sam Bradford, there were a lot of things that you could be uh, very happy to see. And you know, I think it gives you some room for optimism moving forward. Yeah, I thought in studying the tape that he was more decisive than he'd been in previous games. 
I thought the ball came out quick. I thought he threw it to the right receiver. I thought he did some good things as far as manipulation of defenders in the pocket. I thought overall it was his best game. And I think you look to to grow with that as you have this bye week and you work on things. You know, you mentioned self-scouting. And self-scouting is, is something that's often overlooked, but it's so, so important because every team has tendencies. Even the great teams, they have tendencies. No question. Because coaches have philosophies and they try to put their, their philosophies into practice. So every team has tendencies. The question is, when do those tendencies become problematic in that your opponent can play you better because they know your tendencies. Now, one of the things the Eagles have to look really carefully at on offense, they have to find ways to orchestrate and manufacture explosive plays in the pass game. Now, they don't have the players that can just run by secondaries. You know, they had Deshaun Jackson two years ago. They had Macklin last year. Players that you could line up on the outside and could get over the top of defenses. Those players are not on the Eagles roster right now. And by the way, that doesn't mean you can't manufacture Absolutely. and create explosive plays. But now you have to do it with scheme. You know, I go back to two weeks ago when they beat the Giants and Riley Cooper caught the touchdown pass. That was a manufactured shot play, as we call it. They have to find ways to do more of that. That, to me, is a critical element in this bye week and as they then prepare to play the Dallas Cowboys the following Sunday night. That, that is something they must really focus their energies on. Yeah, and I think that you brought up a good point when you talked about Bradford and his decisiveness in the pocket, his ability to manipulate. We talked about a play off camera, uh, about a play that he, it was a completion. I think it was for 22 yards to Miles Austin and a quick slant over yep. the middle of the field where he immediately looked to his left uh, he had Zach Ertz in the slot. It moved Luke Heakley with his eyes, created a perfect uh, alley in the middle of the field yep. for Miles Austin to run into it, and it was a big first down on third down. Uh, just a huge play. You have plays like that where you're able to get chunks, but like you said, now it's going to come down to can you threaten defenses vertically and try and create shot opportunities down the field. They've, been, they've shown the ability to do that in the past, and I yes. think that they can – work on finding ways we saw it against new orleans they went back to that boot action play where you get flow one direction and you get sam bradford rolling to the other you've got a vertical shot you've got a vertical route going down the field and a crosser coming from the opposite side just different ways you can try and push the ball vertically. yeah and i think one of the things over the last couple of years is we've gotten used to this team with their speed tempo offense having longer drives I don't mean in terms of time but plays you know they, they might run nine plays and score now it might only take two minutes it's not a time issue but this year they've not been able to sustain offense and I think they have to take a look at that not that the goal shouldn't be to try to sustain offense but if you're struggling to do that it becomes all the more imperative to try to create explosive plays you talk to any offensive coach in the NFL and they will tell you that no matter what offense you run it it is very difficult to go 11, 12 plays, 80 yards on a consistent basis in this league. At some point, you need to create chunk plays. And those are usually defined, uh, they could be defined as 20 yards or more or 25 yards or more, depending on the team. And predominantly, those plays come out of the passing game, not the running game. So you have to try to find ways to create those with scheme. Yeah, no question about it. And then when you, you start to look at the run game, uh, what were your feelings after watching against Carolina? We talked about last week the talent in that front seven with Luke Keekley, oh. Thomas Davis, the two guys up front, yeah. and uh, Latula and Kawan Short, who had another big game for the Panthers. 
what were your thoughts after watching the running game? Ryan Matthews had another big day. It was interesting to me seeing the, the return of the split zone where they bring the tight end across sure. the formation and take out that backside defender. We hadn't seen too much of it this year, no. uh, and it's worked for them well in the past. You know, and I think you and I agree that they were not going to get to the perimeter against that defense with a whole lot of success. They were in a few plays because it's part of their offense and you have to show it, but we knew with Keekley and Thomas Davis – at, at stacked backer, they were not going to get to the perimeter, and they really didn't. I think when they ran to the perimeter, maybe their long run was four or five yards. They really didn't have a lot of success. So we both anticipated that you'd, we'd see a ton of inside zone, and that's predominantly what we saw. And, you know, the play that obviously stands out, well, Matthews had the two long runs, the 22-yarder and the 60-plus-yard touchdown, and the 60-plus-yard touchdown actually was outside zone. It wasn't a sweep. It was actually outside zone that he showed great vision and cut back. It's, it's, it's ironic that the, the touchdown, the long one, was an outside zone call that was a cutback back Correct. to the inside, and the 22-yarder was an inside zone, a split zone call that he was able to carry outside a little bit because the defense over pursued Right, inside. right, so right. He was it's funny to, how that works. Yeah. Everyone can kind of, kind of call it different sure, things. But, sure, sure. Uh, but, I mean, look, we know that the run game is important to Chip Kelly. I mean, it's important for most teams in the NFL. Uh, the, the, the yardage has been better in the last three games. When you watch the tape, though, I don't know how you feel. You, you still don't get that sort of relentless feel with the run game like we got you know, previous two years at times where it just seemed like every time they handed off, they got five yards. Now they, they're, they're doing better overall when you look at the aggregate stats at the end of a game, but there's still too many one-yard gains, no-yard gains, you know, minus one. Those are the things they have to work on as well. Too many of those are happening because this is an offense that relies on its ability to gain momentum with speed. And if you're in too many long yardage, particularly on second down, right. then it's just it's, it's hard to play this offense. Yeah, and it, it comes, really all those issues start to compound on yep. themselves where you know, if you have a missed play in the run game and now you have a drop and now it's third and long and now you're, in a, you're behind schedule. Or if it goes the opposite and you, you go for a run, uh, you get four yards, now it's second and six. And then you try and go for another run, and now it's third and five. You know, you, you really the, – they start to compound on themselves when you have so many little issues here and there. One play, it's a penalty. Another play, it's a drop, an erratic throw, a missed block in the run game. Uh, that's where the whole execution theme starts to show its head. And two, two points. Number one, there's too many third and longs. And, in fact, Sam Bradford, through the first seven games, has the lowest percentage of any quarterback in the NFL of converting third down passes into first downs. And that's because there's too many third and longs. And second of all, and I've always believed this, we know football, like any sport, is a game of execution. But I think you always have to be careful with saying everything's about execution. Because I think you have to look at concepts. You have to look at schemes. You have to look at ways you can create better execution. Because at some point, if you're not executing... I think, again, I've talked with many coaches about this over the years. Sure. You know, at some point, you can't just say, oh, if the player is executed, we're good to go. At some point, you have to try to find ways in which you can help them execute better. And there's ways to do that. Sure. And I think that's part of self-scouting. And I think that that was, you know, if you look back to that week two game against Dallas where nothing that the Eagles did worked. I mean, right. it was, you know, it was sweep was all negative yardage. Inside zone was negative yardage. Outside zone was barely, you know, positive yardage at all. Uh, and then the past game, they had similar troubles. But then you look at a game like this past week against Carolina where, you know, uh, that, that throw that uh, Sam Bradford made in the back of the end zone to Josh Huff. Right, right yes. where we're saying, you know, 
plays there to be made, and it's and it's just it's not completed. Uh, there's a third down where I believe it was third and six. They complete the pass to Zach Ertz for a first down, but Lane Johnson uh, was a false start. It's just little things like that where the you know the the right. construct of the play worked, but it was one little tiny mistake here from from one person to another person or another person that prevented them from moving the sticks or putting points on the scoreboard. You know, and it's funny you mentioned that play to Huff, and I looked at that play really really closely, and I was actually sitting with a former personnel director watching it. And it was one of those plays, it's very easy to say you should catch that ball because it did hit him in the hands. But, you know, you know, you and I have talked quarterbacks for years now. We talk about college quarterbacks. We talk about NFL quarterbacks. And then you get down to the term I use as opposed to accuracy, which is ball, ball placement. placement. Sure, That ball was not placed where it should have been. And, again, you're talking about a foot, but that's the difference with NFL quarterbacks. Yes, could that ball have been caught? Sure, it could have, but it would have been a really good catch. It sure. needed to be a slightly better throw. Yeah, and I, I think that there are other ones too. You know, there's the the Jordan Matthews one in the back of the end zone uh, yes. on, yes. the, on the corner route. Uh, really, we can, we can point to a lot of right. there was the other Jordan Matthews in the outbreaker. Uh, Zach the Kurtz problem is drop. losing yeah, teams sure. can always point to this. Stuff. Exactly. That's the thing. No question. That's the, that becomes the difference, and yes. that's when you start talking about uh, right. game of inches and things right, like that. Right, right. Uh, as we we can keep going here for a while, but let's let's look at the defense. Uh, I think another strong outing. There were there were some plays obviously that they like to have back. We saw some uncharacteristic long runs uh, against this team that I think one you could you have to chalk it up to Carolina. There, you you called the last week the most uh, multifaceted run, run game, game in the league, in the league and, you know, and that showed up again on yeah. Sunday night. Uh, you know all the different misdirection looks. The start on the, the second play of the game, game yeah. which was you know basically a, a straight counter play. But because you have Cam Newton, they, they ran it a little bit differently. They give the illusion that Cam is rolling or moving to his right, and that just holds – all it needs to hold second-level defenders for is literally half a beat, and they could be out of position or set up to be blocked. Yeah, and it had, it, they caught Michael Kendricks on that play. I think he, he took one and a half false steps, exactly. two false steps, and that's all it took. Yep. The left tackle was on top of him, and that was that. Uh, you know, but you, so you had some of those runs, but again, I thought you saw some of the same thing. Malcolm Jenkins made a number of good plays in the passing game against running backs. The interception was phenomenal, but he also had some other plays in the passing game against receivers and tight ends. Walter Thurman was able to play man to man against Greg Olson for a good chunk of the night. Uh, you saw a number of different plays from Jordan Hicks again is continuing to stand out. The defensive front I thought played pretty well in terms of the front three. Uh, just overall, I mean, this unit moving forward over the final nine games. There's a lot to be excited about with this group. Yeah, defense, as we enter the bye week, has really been the strength of this team through the first seven games. No question. And, you know, we know about the front three. You know, I think they've gotten really strong play. I think we talked about this last week from Jordan Hicks, who I think has played really, really good football. And Thurman and Jenkins, they're really corners playing safety, so they give the Eagles that interchangeable safety play that Bill Davis really wants. Uh, they can both play man. They can both play deep. They can both play in the box. They're, they're just they're good players. Um, you know, I, so I think overall the defense has been solid. Maxwell settled in a bit. I think so, too. You know, I, I mean, again, they signed him as a need. I think they know, and, and no one said he was a top two or three corner in the league, but he's a solid NFL corner, and I think he's settled in. Yeah, no question about it. And, you know, I think when you have the idea of Michael Kendricks now being – when you come back from this bye week, 100% healthy. Right. The idea that uh, Kiko Alonso will return you know, in the coming weeks. D'Amico Ryans will be back healthy next week. Uh, as these guys start to get healthier, really, I mean, there's 
the arrow is continuing to point up, and I think that the stock of this defense is going to continue to rise. It's going to be very, very interesting to see if they do change some things from a schematic standpoint or if they just keep doing right. what they've been doing over the course of the first seven weeks. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, every coach tweaks, so there'll be some minor adjustments, and they might not be visible until you really study the tape hard. You might sure. not notice it when we watch the game on TV. Um, I'll be interested to see what their linebacker rotation looks like. Yeah, no question. Because if, if Alonzo comes back, if Ryans comes back, now they've got four inside linebackers. And again, I'm not at practice. I, you know, I, I'm not in the coaches' meetings, but I just think it'd be hard to take Jordan Hicks off the field. Now, that doesn't mean he has to play every single snap, right? but boy, I would have a tough time just let, having him be a rotation player. Sure. I think he's been kind of the glue of that inside linebacking core. Yeah, and, and you saw this past week when they went into dime, he stayed on the field and Michael Kendricks came off. You would have never thought no. that in a dime situation you were taking Michael Kendricks off the field uh, at any point over the point of his the span of his career, uh, and that's been the case now with Hicks in the in the, in the lineup. Uh, what I'm really interested to see is when those guys come back and are healthy, and you have, especially Kiko Alonso because he brings that length element, the ability to match up with tight ends man to man. We saw that in Week Two against Dallas, where I believe it was they had Gavin Escobar flexed out yeah. wide down in the red zone, and they were perfectly fine putting Kiko out there one on one. They've done it with in different scenarios with Nolan Carroll, with Walter Thurman. Would that prevent them from going to different sub package looks and and things of that nature? If you've got a guy like in Kiko and you have your two safeties in the back that you feel pretty good about moving all over the formation play more nickel yeah that's what that's what yeah. you would think is that you're going to see more nickel as you could dime. you could if, if alonzo's healthy i right. think you will yeah i think so too you know i think you will because uh, you know alonzo at his best you know he's not quite luke luke Keekley, but theoretically he brings that kind of skill set to the table that sort of complete skill set with really good movement right uh, you know, I don't think he's quite the same player in terms of play recognition and overall instincts, but but he does have good instincts. Right. But he's that kind of player in terms of his his size and his movement ability. Yeah, and then you see, you know, we saw we've seen some exotic looks over the past couple of weeks from a front seven standpoint. Yep. Uh, when Kendricks and, and Kiko are fully healthy. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of nickel sub packages where you have Kiko Alonso, uh, you know, maybe flexed out wide over, you know, over a tight end. But then you have Michael Kendricks standing over a tackle as a pass rusher. And, a bit, you know, because we've seen him that way in the past without this depth at the linebacker position. Uh, I think it's going to be very exciting to see what this defense looks like uh, really, you know, in the coming weeks. As, as, you, you know, and they're going to play a Cowboys team in two weeks. Yeah. Romo will not be back yet. No. That's a game. Uh, I know it's in Dallas, but that, that is a highly, highly winnable game. And obviously Dallas plays this week. They play uh, Seattle in Dallas, which will be a tough game for the Cowboys. The Cowboys could easily come into that game 2-5 and five against the Eagles. And that's a game, and I don't think you would disagree, That that's a game the Eagles have to win. Sure. If they're facing Matt Castle or Brandon Whedon, it's a game they have to win. What did they look like this week on tape? I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to go through it yet, but you had Darren McFadden. I look at was, their offense. Yeah, I mean, Darren McFadden was the bell cow this week, it yeah. looked like. So uh, how did that offense look this he, past week? He ran really hard. He's a straight-line downhill runner. He doesn't have much lateral agility, but he's powerful. He's punishing. Um, mostly inside-type runs, a lot of zone. Uh, he ran really hard. And, and Castle... Um, you know, anytime a quarterback throws picks, it's easy to blame the quarterback. Um, I think one of them got away from him on a deep ball. I think the one Rogers Cromarty 
uh, return for a touchdown. I, I happen to see that. Troy Aikman talked about it. I think that the receiver, Terrence Williams, kind of dumped on, on Castle hmm. on that. It's easy to blame Castle. Sure. Now, you know, maybe Castle settle, settles in this week and gets a little more comfortable. Obviously, they don't want him to be the foundation of the offense. They're no going to run the ball. And they've already announced that McFadden will be the starter. It's very, very interesting because uh, coming into the year, Joseph Randall seemed to be getting a good amount of hype. Then they, they well, he's make, hurt now. Yeah, and yeah. then they, and then you have Kristen Michael, who they they acquired right before the start of the season. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's he played some snaps. Has he? He's okay. a quicker runner. He played this week. Okay, he's a quicker runner than McFadden. Probably right. better running skills. Not as powerful. You know, the one thing about McFadden, and the reason he's never become a big-time NFL back is because he doesn't have much lateral agility. Mm. He's pretty much a downhill runner, but he does run hard, and he does have some natural power. So let me ask you this. When this is a guy that we talked about leading up to that Dallas game in Week 2, and they've lost him for the season, that's Lance Dunbar, yeah. uh, the third down back. How have they replaced him? In, McFadden. In, it's been McFadden, it's been as McFadden. In, in pass pro and as yeah. a receiver. Have yeah. they been using McFadden as a receiver as well? Not as much as you would think, and okay. it wouldn't surprise me to see them do a little more of that because okay. obviously Castle's not going to start driving the ball down the field at sure. the intermediate and deeper levels. So it wouldn't surprise me to see McFadden be used more as a receiver as, as time because really their two backs this week are going to be McFadden and, and, and Michael. Sure, and then uh, on the defensive side, Greg Hardy's getting a lot of the headlines for other issues, but how has he looked since entering the lineup? Pretty good, Pretty, you know, and I didn't watch the defense yet this right. week. Uh, but he's, you know, if you separate the off-field, or I shouldn't say off-field, but the, the sure. other yeah. than the game action, right. let's put it that way, he's actually a really good player. No question. He's a uh, really the, the, good that player. That two years ago when he was at Carolina, how many, I forget how many His sacks speed he to had. power pass rush oh, is really good. Ridiculous. Really good. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we will have plenty of time next week to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Greg, enjoy the bye week. <laughs> uh, well, I, I won't have a bye week. You have week. a Sunday I, off. I just least. won't be here. Yeah, right. But exactly uh, I right. won't have a bye week. No, no question about it as well. Greg Cosell, I appreciate the time here on Chalk Talk. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Grant. Great stuff once again from Greg. Uh, you know, I think that, again, building off of what I said earlier, that this team, there's still a lot to hope for. The division is very much still there for the taking uh, because they've got that leg up on the New York Giants. Really, you just have to stay level with them until the end of the season. But before we get into the rest of the show, this is usually when I go to BT and say, how are we doing on iTunes? But Chris, you're, you're on the driver's seat here. How did we do on, uh, on iTunes this week? Are people checking us out, giving us the ratings, listening to all of BT's commands here uh, as the season continues? As always, Fran, we always get a lot of wonderful comments from our great fans out here. From Colt4STL, love the podcast. So much awesome information and insight every week. Any show with the Greg Cosell as a weekly guest is for real. If you want to learn about the game, look no further. Keep it up, guys. And I couldn't agree more, Fran. <laughs> there you go. See, this guy, no, he, he, it's his first appearance on the show, and he's trying to get a second and third one by sucking up. But really, lo- that's right. So <laughs> uh, love hearing from everybody out there. And again, it's the best way to support the podcast. Go on. If it's on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show, Go on, just leave a quick ranking, leave a quick comment, and it helps boost us up, and it helps us improve the show each week. A lot of people have left comments on how to improve what we do or some technical issues they may have, uh, some ideas for content they want to hear. Love hearing from everybody out there. So uh, please continue to do so, and we'll keep uh, giving you a quick shout-out here on the podcast. But uh, let's keep the show rolling here. Two technique. I teased it earlier with Najee Good. Great discussion about the cross-dog blitz from Bill Davis. Uh, Let's get into that interview. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. 
Joining me this week on Two Technique, Eagles linebacker Najee Good. Najee, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the cross dog blitz. You know, everyone calls it you know, Fire X, and there's all kinds of different names for it, uh, where you have the two linebackers crossing over each other, typically inside the A gap and B gap. Uh, just could you just bring uh, bring to light some of the responsibilities there for both linebackers? Uh, yeah, you know, the, um, a blitz like that up the middle is usually something you know you're trying to get penetration, and um, you know one guy has to go first, another guy you know goes second, so. Nine times out of ten, like how we ran it in college, we would have a guy. We would have a guy go first, and he, you know he makes sure he just if anything you see move, move just hit it, go hit it, and the other guy play off of him. And um, usually you got you know you got your guys outside of you, um, you know playing for the outside, and the guys in the inside forcing it. And the cross dog blitz is just like you know that double A gap pressure is something that you want to get right up on the quarterback, right on the center. So if you got a slower quarterback. Or you got, you know, a less mobile quarterback, you know, you can feel pressure right away. And if you got the teams that like to run the ball hard inside, you know, it gives the center, you know, he has to pick a way to go immediately. So you got both guys shooting in the A or B gaps. And um, and, uh, and the misdirection of the linebackers causes confusion for the offensive line. And that, that's what I've always seen from that blitz is that it's good against the run and the pass because either way you're causing confusion there inside for that center. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, when you can get up on the center and the quarterback that quick, um, and, you know, if a running back got to pick you up, you know, it's it's immediate. You know, from the outside, you quarterback still get a chance to scan the field left or right. But uh, coming up the middle, you know, it's kind of hard. It's a lot harder for him to do that. And, you know, the one thing that, you know, any defense or like our defense here, you got to hit the blitzes fast. And when you hit them fast, you know, they're more efficient. Is it almost like a, in a TE stunt where that first guy is almost like uh, giving himself up? You know you want to try and attract the attention away from a center or a guard, and then that looper, that second guy in, almost always will get free? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah a, lot, uh, a lot of times it can be like that. Um, you know, you do have the cases like uh, when we were playing at Green Bay when I ran through, um, you know, and knocked the guy and hit the guy in the backfield pretty hard. You know, <laughs> Some, That first guy can get through there, and, uh, depending on how the line picks it up, you know. Um, some offensive linemen, you know, they depending on the team, you play their big maulers, you know, you get in there and you cause havoc and the second guy comes around. But if you're able to get through guys like Mike, me, you know, um, Hicks, you know, guys able to skinny through the line and, you know, run through and get up underneath them, you can make a big play. Great stuff there from Najee. And he did such a great job of breaking down the the inside blitz, that, that cross-dog blitz from the Eagles defense. So I'm quickly going to break down how to subscribe to a podcast. If you're listening to this episode on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app, all you have to do is just go to your smartphone, go to your device. It could be your, your Apple TV, your Chromecast, wherever it is that you're listening, and you can just go on. Just go to your podcast app and search for Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Hit subscribe, and this show will get downloaded to your device automatically each and every week. You can do it with the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, with Eagles Insider, with the Journey to the Draft podcast, which now we're almost in a full month into that. And if you want to get a leg up on college players, absolutely go and download that. I've also been appearing uh, weekly with my new podcast with one Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, the College Draft Podcast, where we continue to look at college football and the NFL draft from a league-wide perspective each and every week. So go on, check that out. And again, you want to subscribe. Uh, it's very, very simple. And it get, get, can get to your phone each and every week. But let's wrap this show up as we do each and every week. Let's get into Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. Joining me this week on Saturday Scouting from Irish Illustrated, Pete Sampson. Pete, I appreciate the time this morning. We're going to take a look here at the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and some of the best players 
on this team and obviously one of the most talented teams in the country. Let's start in the backfield and a guy that uh, has made a position switch, has really been a, a huge player for them this year due to the injuries in the offensive backfield, and that's senior running back C.J. Procise, who has been a big play threat for the Irish this year. Yeah, I mean, he enrolled as a safety, moved to receiver. He was sort of playing in the slot uh, and then moved to running back. I think sort of in an emergency capacity, their starter got hurt for the year with ACL. Their backup got kicked out of school for academics. So ProSize sort of took that job and ran with it, literally. And, I mean, he's sort of a no-nonsense, no-maintenance uh, running back. Uh, he's been outstanding. He runs a little bit taller than maybe your traditional back. His vision is good, not great, but his breakaway speed is really outstanding. It's kind of one of those backs where he's at top speed but doesn't necessarily look like it until you see him pulling away from defensive backs, corner safeties, linebackers. Uh, he's really been outstanding, can catch the ball well out of the backfield as well. So I think he's got a, he's definitely got a future at the next level. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be after this year. He has another year of eligibility, uh, but he'll be playing on Sunday somewhere. He's, just, he's got too much speed not to. And, Pete, one of the things I thought was most impressive about him was, you know, just looking at his background, uh, was the special teams player of the year last year for Notre Dame uh, because of his abilities and coverage on those special teams units. And that will obviously go a long way. What is C.J. like away from the field? Do, you, do the coaches view him, even though he's an underclassman still uh, in terms of eligibility, do they view him as one of the leaders on that offensive side of the football? You know, I don't think that they do because everything is so new to him. And I think that – Prosize himself would tell you this has been a little bit of a trippy season for him because he's kind of gone from a backup role player to somebody that's mentioned in the same sentence or the sentence after Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook. So I, I think Prosize is still sort of getting used to it. I think he has leadership potential. He just hasn't been asked to use it yet. Um, this is an old offense with a lot of veterans on it, so Prosize can sort of just be a complimentary guy but I think next year if he's back then he would be one of your potential captains for Notre Dame. Whenever you talk about the Notre Dame fighting Irish it's really impossible to talk about them without mentioning this talented receiving core and you know you've got Will Fuller the junior who has made a number of big plays for them this year Corey Robinson the son of the admiral David Robinson the senior Chris Brown who I think is really flying under the radar really on a national scale who do you guys see as the, the leader in that position group? And, you know, obviously, they, they rotate a number of other guys in. Who is the, is the top dog in that position room, would you say? You know, the leader is Chris Brown. He's the oldest. He's played the most. Um, but, I mean, Will Fuller, by far, is the best player. And, I mean, Fuller is going to have a really interesting decision to make after this year. He's going to have back-to-back really just statistically amazing seasons here. He had 15 touchdowns last year, too tie the school record a very very good chance to go over that this year um he is does not have great hands and that sounds strange for a receiver who's challenging for the Blitnikoff, but he really doesn't he's got small hands he's sort of petite in his build it's not like golden tate a few years ago where he came out after his junior year uh and was more just a rock in terms of how physically put together he was but will has great speed very good deep ball skills but does not catch the ball as consistently as you have to for an NFL receiver. So maybe he comes back to work on that. But Chris Brown, to me, is, is by far one of Notre Dame's most pleasant surprises on this team. Just sort of had been working in the background for three years. Uh, the coaches will tell you he's 
low maintenance type guy, which you don't always get with receivers. Um, so they like him a lot. He sort of had a feel good senior season, just playing with so much more confidence than he ever has had. And then Corey Robinson, frankly, has sort of gone in the reverse. He had a good sophomore season, has backslid as a junior, uh, had a touchdown against USC that was big, but it was his first touchdown of the year. He's had some big drops, including at Clemson, uh, which played a part in Notre Dame ultimately losing that game. So Robinson's been a bit of an enigma for Notre Dame, but Fuller has been amazing, and I think Brown has been a real pleasant surprise. And then looking at the offensive line, Ronnie Stanley is heralded as one of the top offensive tackles in the entire country. Uh, you've got a number of different players really from, uh, to his right uh, you know, that have turned out to be pretty good players. Is Stanley the guy that you know, just kind of keeps the other guys in line? Who, who else would you say? Is it, you know, could it be center Nick Martin? Who are the, the leaders amongst that group? You know, it's a combination of Martin and Stanley. Martin is a two-time captain. He's the younger brother of Zach Martin, the pro bowler with the Cowboys, who was also a two-time captain. So I think in terms of just who's the most reliable personality, who is going, who has the credibility in the locker room in terms of their work ethic, it's Nick Martin. Now, who has the credibility in the locker room in terms of athletic ability? It's Ronnie Stanley. But I don't think Ronnie Stanley is a guy that you can go out and say, if you're going to pick him in the top 10 or the top 20, you could, you're picking a five-year pro bowler. I don't, I don't think he's that big of a sure thing. Uh, he's got some risk, reward, some bust factor in his game. Um, I think he's got a chance to be a great pro, but uh, he's not somebody that I think you would pick like Zach Martin last year and be like, okay, I've solved my left tackle position for 10 years because I drafted Ronnie Stanley. Uh, with Nick Martin, I think he's you know a mid-round pick, has played center, has played guard. I mean, as you guys know, you're probably only dressing seven, eight offensive linemen every Sunday. <laughs> he could be your backup at two of them. Um, so that, yeah, I think Nick Martin has some great mid-round value to his game where Ronnie Stanley is uh, maybe a bit of a risk as a top 10, top 20 type pick. Very, very interesting. Okay, so now let's just change gears here to the defensive side. And uh, that defensive line for Notre Dame, they lost Jerron Jones over the summer, who was a really talented player on the outside. But you have Sheldon Day, who has just been – I feel like he's been at Notre Dame now for seven, eight years. He's constantly been a playmaker for that defensive front. Uh, I've heard good things about his character. What does he bring away from the field? Do the coaches rely on him to be kind of one of the shepherds of this team? Yeah, high-character guy. And I think he's sort of learning how to be a pro while he's still in college this year. He's already finished up with his degree, so he's not – he's done with his academic work. He can just concentrate on football now. Um, so I, I think with Sheldon Day, you're getting low-maintenance defensive linemen. Uh, I think poor man's Aaron Donald, if you want to put a comparison on him, uh, to the former Pittsburgh Panther now, St. Louis Rams defensive tackle. I think that's Sheldon Day's game. They move him around line defensive end, defensive tackle. He's definitely a three technique at the next level. Uh, but hardworking type guy. Uh, he's a two-time captain as well. Uh, and I think he's somebody that is immensely respected by the other defensive linemen. I don't think he's somebody that's going to lead your entire defense necessarily uh, in terms of just his outward personality. But that's a ton of respect within the defensive line meeting room. Uh, and this is really the first season he's been healthy. Uh, seven games into it with five to go. He's been banged up really the last three years. Maybe that's a little bit of a concern, even though the injuries have been more like high ankle sprain or MCL type stuff. Uh, but Sheldon Day is having an outstanding 
outstanding senior season. You think maybe you could get him in the low first round, early second round range. Yeah, I think you summed that up pretty well. It's exa- I had heard the, the poor man's Aaron Donald's comparison in the past as well. Uh, but probably the, the highest rated of the Notre Dame players in terms of NFL draft prospects moving forward is really linebacker Jalen Smith, who has been a playmaker that, there since his true freshman season. Uh, now is you know, probably considered as the, the top, if not one of the one or two best defensive players in the entire country. What have you seen from Smith away from the field? How is he in terms of the locker room leadership? And, uh, you know, is he really one of the the top players on this defense off the field? Yeah, I mean, top player on the defense for sure. Off the field, he's a curious guy because he is incredibly self-confident and definitely gets into the cocky range sometimes. Um, And I don't know, he's not a finished product by far. I think he freelances a little bit, but he's just so athletic. It's hard to pick that up. Uh, but when you talk to people around the program, there's been a little bit of frustration in the past that he relies on his athleticism too much, which I don't really necessarily blame him for because it's just off the charts. Um, he's, he's a really interesting personality. I, I wouldn't say that he's like a no-maintenance type guy, uh, nor would I say he's somebody the coaches really have to worry about and manage either. I just think he's a dynamic character, and he's an incredible athlete. Um, is he going to be a great leader for you at the next level? I don't know. I, I can't say that for sure. But in terms of is he going to be a great outside linebacker for you? Absolutely. Um, there are very few sure things. But I can tell you that when Notre Dame signed him and everything I saw out of Jalen Smith in high school, scouting him at combines, high school games, and all-star games, he was one of two sure things I've ever seen come to Notre Dame. And he has been outstanding here. I think he's going to be a high first-round pick next spring, and I think he's going to he's going to be a long-term NFL player. Yeah, I think that uh, that goes without saying. He surely is one of the top prospects uh, in this upcoming class. And then, how about the secondary, Pete? You've got uh, Kaveri Russell, who's coming off the academic suspension a year ago. Uh, Elijah Shoemate, the safety. They've got a number of different players in that secondary that play. Uh, who, who would you say is really the, uh, the number one guy on that totem pole uh, from a leadership standpoint in that secondary? You know, it's, it's tough because I don't think they necess- their best leader is in the secondary is not their best player. It's actually a kid named Matthias Farley, who's a safety, more of a special teams guy at this point in his career, has played some safety this year. He's, he's the guy that I think is the most reliable from a leadership perspective. But in terms of, I think, the best pro, spot, pro prospect is Kavari Russell. You mentioned the academic suspension. I don't think that should be a red flag for him at all, considering it's Notre Dame and the standards that they hold the football team to here. So Kavari Russell has had an, a down-and-up senior year, is how I describe it. He started off kind of slowly, has really come on the last two weeks against Navy, as a tackler and run support was outstanding, and then USC with an interception and a pass breakup that led to a pick by safety Max Redfield. Uh, Kavari, I, I think, will go pro after this year, even though he has another year of eligibility. Um, I think the expectation for him was he was going to be a, a high first-round, mid-first-round pick. He has not been that good, uh, but you know, second-round, third-round guy, for sure. Uh, I think he's a pro. And I think he'll hang around the pros for a while. He's grown up a lot. And I think from a maturity perspective, you know, some people would describe the suspension as a red flag. I'd actually mark it in in the positive category for Russell because I think it sort of 
brought him back to earth and made him understand that everything can be taken away if you make a mistake. And he is, he told people privately that he probably would have gone pro after last year if he had been eligible here, and he knows that would have been a mistake because he wasn't mature enough to handle himself as an NFL football player. Now I think the year away and then coming back and having to sort of own up to that mistake I think helps him at the next level more than it hurts him. Where, it's, where it has hurt him is his game has been very rusty, but I think you're starting to see that be shaken off, and I think you'll con- continue to see that be shaken off during that last five games of the regular season. Pete, last question for you. If you had to pick one player on this team, maybe it's an, an upperclassman that is just flying under the radar, or maybe it's a, an underclassman uh, that really just hasn't reached that national limelight yet. Who's next here for this Notre Dame football team in, in terms of carrying the torch as one of the, the, the top players on the roster? That's a great question. Um, you know, underclassmen that people aren't talking about because they shouldn't be talking about yet. Tight end Alize Jones is going to be really interesting. He's a freshman, only has nine catches this year, 14 targets, uh, but he's playing a man's position as a young guy, didn't early enroll. Uh, I think he's somebody two years down the road that we'd be talking about. But I think the guy that really jumps off the page to me is Jerry Tillery. He's a freshman defensive tackle, number 99. He's a skinny 315 pounds, extremely flexible, athletic, bright, dynamic, engaging personality, really one of a kind in that way. So Jerry Tillery to me, two, three years down the road, maybe we're talking about him as a first-round pick as a pass-rushing six-foot-six, 315-pound defensive tackle. I think he has a world of potential, and I think he's the guy that you really need to track over the next couple of years if you're looking at young pro prospects on Notre Dame's roster. Pete Sampson, I appreciate the time here this morning on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. You can follow Pete at Pete Sampson underscore, the editor of Irish Illustrated on scout.com. I appreciate the time here once again on Saturday Scouting. Thanks so much for having me. Great stuff from Pete. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Pete Sampson underscore. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. Give me a follow if you like what you're hearing on this podcast. I tweet out the links to all the podcasts I'm a part of, as well as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. A lot of different features and shows that we do here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Uh, a lot of football analysis content, and I have always love interacting with you guys out there and talking about football. So shoot me a follow, and we can talk about Whatever it is you want to talk about, NFL, Eagles, college football, NFL draft, uh, I'm up for pretty much anything uh, here, Chris. What do you think? Uh, If you need any questions answered about football analysis, this guy is absolutely the guy. (laughs) And I'm not just saying this to get on next week's episode. He knows the way to my heart. Um, But, no, we've got a big game here. Uh, That's why we wanted to bring Pete on and talk about Notre Dame because we've got a huge matchup between Notre Dame and the Temple Owls. And uh, as we do every week, Chris, this has become a bit of a tradition. We've got three matchups we want to cover up. Now, I talked very, very extensively about the Temple-Notre Dame game and a lot of the key matchups in that college draft podcast with Ross Tucker. We talked about all the key players on the Notre Dame side and players that we talked about just now with Pete, Jalen Smith, Ronnie Stanley, Will Fuller, Corey Robinson, Chris Brown, Kaveri Russell. On the Temple side, you've got Robbie Anderson and Tyler Matikevich and uh, you know Jahad Thomas, 
uh, you know, there, there's a group, a whole group of Hershey Walt and Matt Ioannidis. There's a, a Kyle Friend at center. I think that it's really interesting that you have so many key players on both sides that are going to be matched up really against each other. Uh, very, very excited to be there in person. But for the three matchups that I want to focus on today, the first one is Cal wide receiver Kenny Lawler, kind of built a little bit like Robbie Anderson actually from Temple. He's like 6'3", 210 pounds, you know, big lean frame. Uh, I was really surprised with his movement. I think he's a pretty solid route runner. Uh, he's a junior, so he may decide to stay in school. But uh, I was really intrigued by his combination of size, his length, and then his movement skills. I think that he's a really interesting guy. Really want to see him get a little bit more consistent at the catch point. He had a couple big drops in that Utah game in particular where they led to interceptions for Jared Goff. So it'll be an interesting thing there to watch for Lawler. And he's going up against USC this week. And the corners, Kevon Seymour and Adore Jackson from USC, uh, two guys that I think are very, very talented. Adore Jackson's not draft eligible, but uh, a guy that when you watch him from afar, you can see that he looks, looks the part as a big-time cornerback prospect. Seymour is interesting, a little bit undersized. Uh, I liked when I watched him. I mean, I thought he was pretty instinctive. I liked. I thought that he was pretty scrappy, like our our uh, co-host this week, Chris Stevens, an uh, undersized, scrappy corner. Uh, Kevon Seymour, I think, has a chance to be a mid-round pick, and I liked what I saw from him on tape. Uh, the last two matchups, going down into the trenches, and I know that Chris Stevens doesn't like talking about the trenches since he was a college corner, but uh, you've got Texas Tech's tackle, LaRaven Clark, a guy I've talked about in the past on the Journey to the Draft podcast, big physical has the traits that you want really strong at the point of attack he's got really heavy hands I think he's got solid feet his techniques just all over the place and I'm really excited to dig deeper into him off of this season but when I watched him last year that was the big thing pad level hand placement uh just his foot his lower body mechanics everything in his pass set you just want to see him tighten all that stuff up but he's going up against one of the top pass rushers in the big 12 in Oklahoma State's Emmanuel Ogba who's been very very productive from a a sack standpoint I compared him actually on the Journey to the Draft podcast to a Michael Sam, but the problem, the difference is, I think Ogba's got a better, he's got an NFL body. He's 6'4, 275. Sam was a bit undersized. Great college pass rusher, has been able to win off the ball. My question with, with Ogba is the fact that I think he struggles a bit turning the corner. I think he's a little bit stiff in the lower half. Uh, so that will be the big question for him when he does come out, when he goes to the combine and he goes through those athletic drills. Will he be able to prove you know, the tape wrong, in essence, and say, yeah, I am a good athlete. I can uh, turn the corner at the NFL level and beat offensive tackles off the edge. That will be the big question with Ogba moving forward. And then into the Big Ten, you've got Wisconsin going up against Rutgers, a guy we've talked about in the past, Rutgers edge rusher Kamiko Ture, redshirt sophomore, has a chance to declare because there, there may be a coaching change there at Rutgers dynamic, explosive kid off the edge, has the ability, unlike Ogba, to turn the corner. And that's a rare feat, really, in this draft class because I don't know that there's too many edge rushers that have that trait. And he's going up against three-year starter at, at tackle, Tyler Mars. And I expect Ture to kind of get the better of Mars. I think Mars is probably better fit at guard. Uh, he's he's going to have a, a big test this week in Ture. So those are three matchups I want to take a look at this week. Again, College Draft Podcast, dig deep into Temple Notre Dame. Saturday scouting article you can check out on Saturday morning. I'll have five more matchups there. Uh, and you can always hit me up on Twitter and ask uh, what I think about some of the other prospects in the biggest games each and every week. But let's wrap this show up. Thanks again to Greg, to Najee, to Pete. Chris Stevens, once again, for appearing in his very first podcast. And for all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app, thank you. And if you get the time, again, go rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, and shoot me a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better 
each and every week. Really appreciate all of you out there that spread the word on social media. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for my producer, Chris Stevens. I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.